This morning, uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 21, and uh, welcome this morning. Um, super glad uh, to be here. You know, I was thinking about this morning how um, I'm a huge uh, football fan. I, 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 love, um, I love the game. There's a lot about it. And I have a, a DVR that's kind of set to record it. And uh, it's funny, I was talking um, uh, last night to Keith Wills, and he, was, he said that he tapes things like that. He said, but he doesn't get real excited because he knows that it's not real. It already happened. Like, so when he watches it, I'm different. I scream. Like, I'm watching the tape thing, and I, like, I could be watching at midnight and like shut myself off of social media. I don't have no idea what's going on, and, and, and I'm just yelling at the TV. I'm screaming. And you know, this morning, I was just kind of tripping out on that and thinking, God is beyond time, right? So he already knows the future. So, so I'm watching this game and I'm, I'm engaged in it just even though it's already happened. And I just, I, I, it blew me away to think of how God sees things. Because if he already knows the outcome, you're this morning in a trial. You're making a decision. You're trying to figure something out. God already knows how that's gonna go, doesn't he? Why pray? If God's sovereign, he's going to do what he's going to do, right? Why pray? If whether you pray or not, God knows what he's going to do. The DVR has been set. He already knows the outcome. He knows what's going to happen. Why do we, why do we intercede? Why do we spend time with the Lord? Why do we, we pray fervently? Well, this morning, that's the answer. Uh, that's the question that, that we're going to look at. Because I believe that when we understand the answer to that, it will cause us to pray. It will cause us to want to pray. So let's pray. Lord, this morning, we thank you. God, we, first of all, want to pray just because we're thankful. Lord, um, I think about how many times when I see a little child, especially, Lord, uh, the younger elementary, even toddler age, when they say thank you, it always kind of takes me by shock, and I'm always super blessed by that that uh, at a young age, they've learned to be thankful. But Lord, we could be older and sometimes we can forget to be thankful. And we pray that when we open up that conversation with you, it would begin, first of all, because of, of gratitude. And then Lord, this morning we're praying that your Holy Spirit teaches us, that your Holy Spirit helps us to understand these things because God, we know that uh, you're real. We know that uh, you are um, a God that hears, but, but Lord, help us to understand this. So may your Holy Spirit uh, teach us through your word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, this last week, the first week of uh, these 21 days of prayer, I was able to go to uh, every uh, one of them except for, except for one. And um, one of the things that uh, encouraged me is that anytime a group of believers, every night there were different people. So Monday night, there was a certain group, and then and then uh, Tuesday night, there were other people. Wednesday night, you know, there's, there's groups of people praying. But whenever I was with people praying, um, I always felt like God's presence was there. And I always left encouraged. I always, I always left with the sense that God answers prayer and encouraged to pray. The other thing that I realized is that when it comes to prayer, one of the things I was convicted of is how many times we could figure things we could try to do things. We could try to make things happen in our own strength without prayer. And I really believe that prayerlessness is one of the greatest weaknesses of the church. Not just our church in particular, but the church in general. Um, there are some places like Korea, South Korea, they, that Christians there, uh, that prayer culture is so vibrant and so strong that all-night prayer meetings are something that is normal for them. It doesn't catch them off guard. In fact, if you've been to Prayer Mountain here, um, right here in the Santa Cruz Mountains um, by Mission Springs, just an incredible place to get away and pray. And that place was started based on prayer by, by South Koreans that were praying. And then a, a woman that came over here and really um, opened up the door because she felt like there was a need here in the United States to pray. So as we pray... Um, there's a couple of scriptures I want to read before we get into this portion of Matthew. The first one is in Isaiah 46.10. It says, Declaring um, the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Again, just a reminder, God is going to accomplish his purpose. 
my prayerfulness or my lack of prayer, um, I, don't, I don't change God all of a sudden and remind him of something that he needs to know. Or I don't, my originality doesn't give God new ideas. Just think about this. If you've ever thought like, how can we reach these people? And you start to pray and you think, hey, you know what? We're gonna do something totally different to reach this neighborhood. And God, why don't we do this? And you start to pray. It's not like God at that moment says, you know what? That's a great idea. I never thought of that. I, you know what? If you wouldn't have brought that up to me, I never, wow, that is, that is really, God is not shocked by those things, but he wants us to pray. He already knows his desired end. And yet I, I really believe that prayer is a, an indication of our hearts that are longing for the things of God. On Wednesday evenings, as we do Life Church and we go, uh, we, we meet together, we're going to have a time of worship and a time of teaching. We're going to go through the book of Judges. And I really think it's an appropriate book. Uh, Bill Bjorkman was saying, hey, it's a, it's a great book to go through. He had suggested it. And the more that I looked at it, um, I realized that in the book of Judges, there was always a low ebb of spirituality. Israel was messed up. Uh, bad uh, leadership, bad things happening in, in the country, just people turning away from God, everybody doing what they wanted to do. Um, everyone, it says, did what was right in their own eyes. And it was at that time when things got bleak. What happened? People started to pray. And when people started to pray, what did God do? He raised up a leader called a judge. And that leader became an instrument that God used to affect the land. So I, I think it's appropriate when we consider praying that, that God answers prayer. Um, another scripture before we get into Matthew is in Isaiah 64. Um, listen to this. Isaiah says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood and fire causes the water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by ear, nor has I seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. Isaiah prayed, God, would you rend the heavens and come down? My prayer for us this morning is that the Holy Spirit would come upon this time and upon us, that we would be able to receive from God what he wants to tell us. See, this morning, I really hope and pray that this is more than just a, a religious ritual for a Sunday morning thing. Like, hey, we get together on Sundays, and that's kind of a cultural thing. My wife, uh, Deanna, is from West Virginia. And uh, um, the first time that I, I went back um, to visit uh, with her, um, actually the only time, I, I went back to West Virginia. We, had, uh, we were newly married, and um, she introduced me to her family that was out there. And it was very interesting because in West Virginia, in the small city of White Sulphur Springs, uh, which is a uh, population about 2,000 people in, in her city that she grew up in, in White Sulphur Springs, church is very cultural. Everybody goes to church. And it's very normal that you go to church, and uh, it's not a, a stereotype, it's real. They would go to church, and then they would go to grandma's house, and they would have fried chicken. And everybody did that. That was just kind of a, a normal thing to do. Um, we also went whitewater rafting because if you don't know, West Virginia is kind of like the Colorado of, you know, the East Coast. People don't realize it's like the Rockies. It's amazing. And so we went whitewater rafting and uh, we got on this bus. The tour guide that was going to take us whitewater rafting, he said, you know, he goes, uh, for those of you that are outside of West Virginia, raise your hand. And like all the visitors, raise your hand. And he said, uh, you know, we want you to get uh, real used to it. We want to... Ex- uh, exude a southern hospitality to you and he said and the way that we do that is there's two things we don't talk about on this trip we don't talk about what politics and we don't talk about religion and everybody goes yeah everyone cheers all the locals cheer because like it's the place where they don't have to be religious so religion is kind of a routine for them just kind of going through the motions and you know what? we could be just as religious here in, in santa cruz county can't we i mean we could just go through the motions just like People in the South go through the motions or people in Texas go through the motions. So I really pray that this morning as we seek the Lord, that we really have a heart to say, God, oh, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down, that, your, that the mountains might shake at your presence. See, when it comes to authentic prayer and when it comes to seeking the Lord, 
I think it's something that Jesus himself was very zealous about. And if you read with me in the book of Matthew chapter 21, this is the last week of Jesus. He comes into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. Do you remember that people were, were shouting out Hosanna uh, to the son of David? It was especially who was really shouting out. Do you remember? It was children. It was kids. Kids were shouting Hosanna. They were singing loudly. And what did the adults and the religious people do? They said, hey, tell those kids to shut up. All right, they're, they're singing too loud. Um, you ever notice that when kids sing, they don't really care a whole lot about what people think? And then we get older and we start to get real self-conscious. So now we only sing in the car in the shower. And that's the only place where we really belt it out. But if you've ever heard someone sing, not to be noticed, not for a performance, but in worship because their heart is engaged. I don't know if you've ever sung in that way when you've been depressed, but I have. And I'll tell you, it's some of the sweetest worship when you start to, to sing to the Lord out of grief. And as you sing to the Lord praises, all of a sudden you, you, you're shaken by it because your heart is connected to God. Jesus is very zealous about prayer. He wants prayers that are unhindered. He wants prayers that are real. He doesn't want staged prayers. In fact, he just rebuked the Pharisees earlier in the book of Matthew for their repetition, for their wanting to be heard by others. If, if our prayers are just to be heard by others or to sound good, then it's just like a noisy gong. It's a clanging cymbal. God wants that childlike prayer that engages in the same way that when my kids talk to me, that there's no pretense. There's just, they are who they are and I know them as they are. Jesus is very zealous about this. And it says in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 21, when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? The multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And then it says, Jesus did something. This is my, uh, mild mannered Jesus, right? Meek Jesus, uh, the Jesus in the paintings that looks super soft, um, in fact, soft filter Jesus. This is, this is the Jesus of the Bible. It says in verse 12, when he went into the temple of God, he drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Doves were the offering in the temple that a very poor person would be able to purchase because they didn't have any sheep. They didn't have anything to offer that was um, more than that. And, and the doves were like the cheapest, least expensive of, of the offerings. And so they wanted to be able to offer something to God. And it was these money changers that were kind of ripping people off. And those that sold doves, Jesus came in and he overturned the tables of the money changers. Now, something to know is Jesus never lost his temper. He was always under control. He was never in sin. The Bible says to be angry and do not sin. Jesus was zealous. He was angry. He was not in sin at this point. Now, I want you to picture in your mind how, how that must have looked. The temple was a religious, solemn place. Uh, growing up in the Catholic Church, there was always this sense of, um, of solemnity when you would walk in. Uh, my mom taught me that, you know, when I was young, you genuflect. That means you kneel at certain places. You do the sign of the cross. There's the holy water. It, everything was just very quiet and very, like, uh, uh, kind of like an awe. The temple, if you've ever seen a replica, uh, replica of the temple, it was an incredible, awesome place. A, 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 an intimidating place in some ways. A, a place where God's pl uh, presence dwelt. And yet... Can you imagine in this place, all of a sudden you hear this noise? Do you, have you ever heard the noise of change falling on the ground when someone drops a bunch of coins? And the coins and tables being tipped over. And you don't, you don't tip over tables gently, okay? You don't go like, you know, like gently drop. These are money changers. These are uh, a lot of, doves can you imagine doves flying around jesus does this and notice the reason in verse 13 he said to them it is written my house shall be called a house of prayer 
but you have made it a den of thieves. Now we realize something that we could pray in any place. Um, This building that we meet in, we call it a sanctuary. This is kind of like the main area. And yes, holy things, sacred things happen here, but we could go pray in our car. We could go pray at the beach. We We could pray at our office. You know, they can never really, they could outlaw prayer in schools, but every time there's a test, kids are going to pray. Um, there's, there's always prayer. And yet when we look at this, there's something special about this place that was to be a representative, uh, a representation of God's presence. And he said, you've turned it into something else. And you know, I, I really believe that God is creative, he's innovative, and I, I you know, there's actually, a, um, I've been praying about doing this, getting a creative team together to, to do some artwork. I know that we can't do certain things in here because this is a, you know, we rent this place and it's multi-use, but maybe we could do some things that are portable and we take that. So God's very creative, he's very into the arts. When you go into the temple, there was incense, there was candles. When you, when you look at the ornate decoration, God is very skillful in those things. But there's a danger at times when we could rely upon talent and we could rely upon methods and means rather than the Lord himself. And I think it's very dangerous today in in 2014, crazy, in 2014, that we could just try to become ingenious by trying to figure out how to do things. We could rely upon experience and say, here's some techniques that we could do. And uh, here's, here's the felt needs of the people. And this is how we could reach out to these needs of the community. And I'm not against any of those things, but I am against it in my own life if I realize that my reliance and my dependence is on my own ingenuity and my own strength and my own experience and collectively as a group. And the same thing goes for your family. And the same thing goes for you personally. This morning at prayer, I was, I was saying that... Um, Sometimes when it comes to serving the Lord in ministry and you say, hey, would you like to help out with teaching the kids or to be an usher or, or uh, maybe would you like to give towards this certain ministry? We, we say, you know what, let me pray about that. And we get real serious and we pray and we think about it. We're really methodical. But when it comes to buying a car, sometimes we could just say, hey, you know what, what kind of car do I want? I'm just going to buy that car. Or what, what job am I going to take? Or, you know, sometimes we don't pause to to just pray and to ask God for his, his wisdom and his direction. And Jesus was very zealous in the place where they were to come and worship, the place where they were to come and meet with God. They turned it into something different. It says, um, and, and by the way, I, there is a show that I've never seen, but it's called uh, Preachers or Pastors of LA or something like that. My brother-in-law was telling me about it. Uh, in which these pastors, they roll up in Bentleys and they talk about like God's blessing on them and this prosperity. There's, there's a, a prosperity gospel today that says that if you are truly godly, you're truly spiritual, you have enough faith that you won't be sick and you won't be poor, you won't have need. You know, all of these things are gonna be um, God's prospering in your life. And that even trickles down into developing nations where they are very poor. It's kind of a crazy thing. But there's also a danger in the pendulum swinging to the opposite way that we don't really believe in God's blessing. And as Christians, we, we can say, well, maybe, maybe uh, that's for those people, but you know what? God doesn't really hear my prayers. And it could actually cause prayerlessness. Now, when Jesus said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Notice the response in verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. What was the response of Jesus turning over the tables? Did people, did they run from him? Some people did. I'm sure the money changers did. And the the people that were selling the doves, they did. But the blind and the lame, they actually came to him. It was kind of like the hindrances were being taken out of the way. And, And I pray that for us. I pray that the hindrances of religiosity would be taken out of the way so that we could come and encounter the Lord. I, I know people that have been so hurt in church, in churches. They have been hurt by people in leadership. They have been hurt by other Christians that they, they don't want to come to a church anymore. They don't want to enter into a building, into a place where religious people are, maybe because they feel like they're not good enough. 
Maybe because they feel like they wouldn't be accepted. Maybe they, they feel like they just can't be real. By Jesus turning over the tables, it enabled the, the blind and the lame to come to him. And it says that he healed them. In verse 15, it says, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Again, they, they became indignant with the children that are crying out. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Now, the people became indignant. Um, David Crowder has a, a song, it's called Undignified. And uh, the song Undignified, it's based on David in the Old Testament. Do you remember what happened when David, um, he took off his outer garment and he danced before the Lord? He kind of made a fool out of himself in front of people, in a sense. And David's wife even said, what are you doing? Like, you're ridiculous. Look at you, you're making a show out of it. And, and he said, I will become even more undignified than this. And basically what David realized was something special he realized that really there was an audience of one. He wanted to please God. So in his worship of God, he wasn't worried about impressing people, and he also wasn't worried about what people thought. And I think that when it comes to praying together and when it comes to worship of the Lord, that is a huge hindrance to worship. Are people gonna listen to me? What if I raise my hands? Will people? And, and I'm not saying that you have to raise your hands, but I'm saying that there should be a freedom to raise your hands. And when you sing, I, I hope and pray that you sing loudly enough so that you, you're praying, uh, you're singing in a way that you would desire to sing. And, and yet, as human beings, we're so self-conscious about what is everybody thinking about me? And it was the children that were able just to cry out, Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? It means God, save now. Save now. These kids are saying, save now. They're singing this out. And I really pray that when, we, when it comes to prayer, that, that there is something that, that breaks beyond what we care about, what people think about us, and we're more concerned with what God thinks. You know, Jim Cimbala, who pastors the Brooklyn Tabernacle, he, he shares this story about his daughter. When his daughter uh, was far from God, she was out on the streets, and he said it was, it was so heartbreaking that there were times that he would be he had a 20-minute drive from his house to the church and on his way to the church, just gut-wrenching and, and it was so hard for him sometimes just to come. And if you read his testimony and you know um, Jim Cimbala, he said this, he said, you know, Sunday mornings we gather together, we worship, we, we go through the word and Wednesday nights we have our, our midweek. He said, but from now on, he said, the spiritual barometer of the church is going to be our Tuesday evening prayer meetings we will gauge whether or not our church trusts God and is praying in faith based on how many people just show up to pray, not based on how many people come and attend on a Sunday morning. And he just wanted the prayer to be the main focus. But one night when he came, he was so burdened for his daughter and the Holy Spirit had put it on his heart to ask the people to pray for him. And But he, he didn't wanna do that because he didn't wanna be the center of attention and there was a lady in the church that came to him and said, Pastor Jim, I really believe tonight that the Lord wants us as a church to pray for your daughter. And so he prayed about it and he said, okay. And uh, he allowed her to give the prayer request. She said, I, I, I just wanna pray for Pastor Jim's daughter. And he said, they began to pray for his daughter. And as they began to pray for his daughter, he said, I, the only way I could liken it is to a, a labor room. He said, any of you that have ever been in a labor room when a, a mother is about ready to have a, a child, he said, it, it, it's very painful and there's a lot of noise. And he said, people just began to pray out loud and people began to call upon the Lord and say, God, bring her back. And, and they started praying promises and scriptures. And as they, they began to pray that night, he said, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was there. And then he said, something happened that weekend. His daughter showed up at his house. And she came to his house and he said, honey, what are you doing? And she said, daddy, she said, I'm back. And, and he said, what do you mean you're back? She said, no, I'm back, not just back to visit. And she said, dad, let me ask you what happened on Tuesday night. And he asked her why. And she said, because on Tuesday night, there was something in my heart that I knew 
that God loved me and I knew I had to come back. Why do we pray? See, God is very zealous about prayer. And yet sometimes we could say, well, if God's gonna do what he's gonna do, why should I, why should I even bother about prayer? Let me, let me tell you that when Jesus overturns the tables here, it's the second time that he did this. In the book of John, this is at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, which tells me something. Jesus was just as zealous at the beginning of his ministry as he was at the end of his ministry. Sometimes we can mellow out with age or experience as Christians. Maybe when you first came to Christ, you were super zealous about the things of God, but the longer that you've become a Christian, you've kind of settled into the status quo of uh, this, this median, uh, mediocre spirituality and other people, and, and you just kind of look at what's normal in your culture and in your world, and you kind of settle into that zone. And Jesus was just as zealous at the beginning of his ministry as he was at the end. In John chapter 2, let me read this to you. It says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the changers money and overturned the tables. So just think about this. This is three years ago and three years later, he comes back right before he's gonna go to the cross and he does the same thing. The first time that Jesus did it, it says that he made, he made a whip of cords. Um, I, I looked that up, and the word uh, to make, the, the tense of the verb means it was a, an action that it took some time to make this whip of cords, which means that Jesus didn't just fly off the handle. It means that Jesus is sitting there, and he's making this whip of cords. What are you doing? What's he doing? And he's thinking about it. And he's just making this, he's making a, he's, you know, braiding the, the leather together. And what's he doing? And he's, he's just, and then he gets up and he uses that to drive out all these, ah, these animals running through the tent. Where are all those animals going? Money changers, tables turning over. And Jesus said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, listen to this, zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus is so zealous that his zeal consumed him. And that's not a bad thing. You know, I think that we're so laid back in Christianity today sometimes. Um, Think about where we live in the country. California, pretty laid back. Where do we live in California? Santa Cruz County, pretty laid back. What church are we? Calvary Chapel, pretty laid back. So like we could be the laid back of the laid back, but there's a danger and realize it, w- Jesus wasn't laid back about the things of God. He didn't just say, well, let's just take it as it comes, you know, whatever happens. He's very zealous about prayer, about seeking the Father. See, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, if God is zealous about the temple, listen to this. Paul writing to the Corinthians said, do you not know that you, that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? So if God is very zealous about the temple and we are the temple of God, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, do you think he's zealous about your life? Do you think he's zealous about what you're passionate about? Do you think he's jealous in a godly jealousy, not the earthly um, selfish type of jealousy, but a, a godly jealousy, the same way that if your husband and someone is flirting with your wife and you know that they're being flirtatious and you know the person's reputation, I really hope that you're not so wimpy that you don't just get some zeal and do something about it and approach this person and just step right in there. See, Jesus is so zealous that we are the bride of Christ. And realize this, do you think that he's jealous with a godly jealousy when we get super passionate super excited about the 49ers today but super dull and super dead when it comes to prayer i do i think he could see that as idolatry i'm not being legalistic i'm a huge football fan if you go to my facebook there's a uh, my my cover photo is frank gore stiff arming a guy on the panthers okay so that's that's how much I, i i love following that but I'm convicted if I should ever be more zealous for things of this world than I am for the things of God. I'm convicted if I'm more, if I'm more zealous about 
anything, if you're more zealous about your 401k or your job or your hobbies or your pleasures or your pursuits, rather than the things of God, and the things of God are just boring and dull, God is zealous with a godly jealousy for us because he wants a full heart that is in love with him because he loves us so much. I think about when, if those of you that are married can look back at your dating relationship in that dating relationship, there was a pursuit. There was a, I'm, I'm going to try to win her. I'm going to try to win him. I'm going to try to do whatever I can because I'm so engaged that other things don't matter. Have you ever noticed that someone that is in that new love, they, other things seem like they don't even matter? You missed that appointment. Oh, I'm in love. You know, sorry, I was on the phone. You hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. I'm just going to fall. I mean, you want to spend time with them. Your Your phone bill is huge. You know, you... Your friends even accuse you of not caring about them as much because you're so consumed with that other person. And yet the things of God, if we are the bride of Christ, what does that look like in our relationship with God? That he gets leftovers, that if, it's, if I have time and if I feel like it and if I want to pray. See, part of prayer is not just, hey, I want God to do things. As a genie, as a Coke machine, I put the coins in, I've prayed enough, now he has to do, it's relationship. I want to spend time with my kids because I want to spend time with my kids. Why, when I go to the store, do I ask one of my kids, do you want to go with me to the store? It's not so that they could help me to make choices at the store. It's just, I'm going to be out and I would rather be out with you. I'd rather spend time with you. God loves his children. He wants to spend time with us. See, I really believe that Jesus needs to drive some things out of my temple so that it would again become a house of prayer. I think that Jesus wants to drive some things out of my life. If, my, if I'm, I'm the temple, if, if my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and God dwells in me, there's some things that need to be driven out with a, a whip of cords from my life so that zeal and prayer comes back. How does that happen? Sometimes it happens by fasting. Sometimes it happens by denying our physical desire to eat or it could be a media fast or a technology fast or, or it could be just spending that time away, just seeking the Lord so that the zeal comes back. There's, there's an expression that uh, I really like. Wellington Boone, uh, an African-American pastor, I just heard him at Promise Keepers one year and he said something that was so profound. He said, you better pray until you pray. And pray until you pray means that sometimes when I start to pray, when I begin to pray, I'm still thinking about my to-do list. I'm thinking about what I want to do later. I'm thinking about other things. I'm distracted. But if I keep on praying and I spend the time with the Lord and I don't, I don't leave that time too soon, eventually my spirit becomes engaged and I really start to pray. Then I really want to pray. And then the half an hour feels like it was five minutes. And then I, I don't have enough time and I'm bummed that I have to go on to the next thing because I just want to sit there. We need to pray until we pray. It says that, um, l- let me read this quote to you because again, coming back to this mystery of how prayer works, why should we even pray if God's going to do what he's going to do? Let me read this quote by C.S. Lewis. I love it. C.S. Lewis wrote about the mystery of us realizing that prayer changes things even though God is sovereign. God uses certain means to achieve desired ends. Can we believe that God really modifies his action in response to the suggestions of men? For infinite wisdom does not need telling what is best, and infinite goodness needs no urging to do it. Think about how... um, if, if you know of a relationship and you know that it's an abusive relationship, you're praying that God stops this abusive relationship. Do you think that you're so good and God is not good? God would not stop that, but you, you are telling him, hey, that's the right thing to do, God. And he's like, you're right. It's the right thing to do. I better step in. No, we don't need to do that. And we also don't need to remind him. Does he need our ideas to do something new? But neither does God need any of those things that are done by finite agents, whether living or inanimate. Listen to this. He could, if he chose, repair our bodies miraculously without food. He could give us food without the aid of farmers, bakers, or butchers. He could, um, he could give us knowledge without the aid of learned men. Or he could convert the heathen without missionaries. Instead, he allows soils and weather and animals and the muscles, minds, and wills of men 
to cooperate in the execution of his will. That is brilliant. If, if I don't eat, I will become weak. If I don't eat any good food and I only eat junk food, my body will suffer the consequences of that and will become sick and I will lack strength. I could sit there in my room and say, God, bless this, bless these fruit loops to my body. And I could pray, you know, before people, Lord, bless these fruit loops to my body and let them nourish me and give me strength. And if all I eat is fruit loops, I guarantee you that something will happen and it won't be strength. It will be weakness. It will be diabetes. It will be a, a, a lack of, of vibrance within my physical body. So I'm not mystical about that. I realize that, yeah, sometimes I might indulge in a, a fruit loop or two, but, you know, for the most part, I better eat something healthy. So if God uses that, why do we say, well, if God could make me strong without fruit loops or without, you know, protein or he could, right? Miraculously, he could do that if he wanted to. He could sustain you. So do any of you sit in your room or sit at the kitchen saying, I'm just going to eat this and I'm just going to pray that God changes this to be effective to my body because miraculously he's going to do that? No, you do what you need to do, right? In the same way, if God says, I'm going to use prayer to save someone, I'm going to use prayer to heal someone, I'm going to use prayer to change a person's life, I'm going to use prayer to draw someone to myself, why would we ever sit there and say, well, I'm not going to pray because you could do that on your own if you wanted to. See, if God knows the beginning from the end, is it possible that he also knew that that prayer that you offered would be offered? And he responds, and, and for us, it's real time. For him, it's a DVR. For him, he understood that it's an answer to prayer. And in his mind, the way that God works, again, he's above my ways. Don't go all back to the future on me and try to figure out, but if he went back and then, you know, I, I don't know. These are the mysteries of God outside of time and space, but I do know this. He tells us things that are simple in simple language, the way that I would tell my daughter, Abigail, something in simple language that she would be able to understand. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his ways and his thoughts above mine. And he says, pray, because he answers prayer. And when I read the testimony of the scriptures, I see that God responds to prayer. And when I look at the testimony of my life, I see that God answers prayer. And when I think about other believers that are older than me, I see that God has answered prayer. And when I look at other Christians, I see that God has answered prayer. So how does it all work? I don't know. In the grand scheme, I'm not God. He is beyond my understanding, but I know that it works. And I know that it's the means that he chooses. God said, Pascal, God instituted prayer in order to lend his creatures the dignity of causality. But not only prayer, whenever we act at all, he lends us that dignity. It is not really stranger nor less strange that my prayers should affect the course of events than my other actions should do. They have not advised or changed God's mind. That is his overall purpose. But that purpose will be realized in different ways according to the actions, including prayers of his creatures. If there is a bad guy that is out there, then an investigator must go out and investigate. And when he investigates and he finds evidence and he prosecutes, and that person is put in prison because they've done those things, that detective did something that was real. And yet it was God that put that person in prison using that detective to find him. And in the same way, God, when he answers prayer, is the one that moves and the one that does the work, but he uses the agents of people who call upon his name. It goes on, you know, when I think about our, our problem at times to see how prayer works is that we often have a wrong view of God in relationship to the world. I sometimes think of God as just a better version of me. I think of what would it be like to answer all of the prayers in the world? Um, you know, you could easily say, well, can you imagine what that sounds like? This cacophony of prayers. You know, there's this mother that is praying for her wayward son over here. And, and here is a, a doctor that is praying as he's doing surgery that God would guide his hands. And there's someone else that's just lost a job and they're praying over here. And there's someone in Russia and then there's someone in South America. And all these prayers and billions of people praying. And how does he filter it into his mind? So that what if, what if my prayer contradicts someone else's prayer? How does that work? You know, what if I'm praying, God, uh, I want my team to win because if I get the opportunity to share my testimony, I'll do that. And there's a Christian on the other team praying the same thing. Do they cancel each other out? How does that work? I don't understand how that works. 
But I know this. I know that God uses prayer and somehow or another that also changes me. By the way, here's the title of the message. That was my introduction. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> prayer changes things, including us. See, sometimes in the midst of the prayer, sometimes God, because he's God, has the prerogative to say no. There are times when I hear people say, God, God doesn't answer my prayers. God, yeah, you know what? Sometimes he answers my prayers. Sometimes he says no. Let me read this aspect of God saying no. You remember when Paul was praying about this thorn in his flesh, Paul the apostle said this, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. In other words, to beat me up. There was some spiritual thing in his life that was just beating him up. And he said, lest I should be exalted above measure, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord. Paul didn't just pray a wimpy, a non-emotional prayer, he pleaded, God, please take this from me. He pled with God and he pled with the Lord three times that it might depart from him. And God said to him, Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure, listen to this, in sickness, in reproaches, in need, in persecution, in distress, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That means that sometimes the Lord allows us to be sick. Sometimes the Lord allows us to be reproached for other people to talk trash about us. Sometimes the Lord allows these things in our life, um, things like need. Any of you in need this morning? Any of you have some financial needs? Some, emotion, some needs that aren't met right now in your life. Paul says, um, infirmities, um, you know, uh, reproaches, needs, persecutions. Anyone fired or made fun of because of their faith? Anyone have a relationship of friends that they don't hang around you anymore? They don't call you anymore because you're into that church thing or into that God thing or you're religious? It says in distress, or any of you in distress? Any of you stressed out about life and the things that it's throwing at you? He says, I take pleasure in all of these things, not just for the sake of those things, but he says, for Christ's sake, because when I am weak, then I am strong. Yes, it is true that God sometimes says no. And sometimes his purposes are above mine. I know of cases where people have been praying that they would get a certain job and they got it and it caused them to praise God, caused them to be thankful and increase their faith. I know other people that have not gotten the job and it has increased their faith because God provided in some other means and it has shown them that God still cares about them even though he didn't answer the prayer the way that they wanted him to answer the prayer. God sometimes says yes. In Matthew 21, 21, Jesus answered and said to them, assuredly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, so there, that's a condition. You will not only uh, do what was done to the fig tree, but also say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. So Jesus says, if you believe, if you ask in my name, there are times that God says, yes. He answers those, those prayers. And again, there's the balance. We understand, I do see this in scripture, that there are, are scriptures that say, according to the Lord's will, that's how we should pray. If God wills, we'll go to such and such a city. Other times we'll pray according to God's will. But there are other times when we really believe and we think that we know that it's God's will and he says to ask. And sometimes we don't receive because we don't ask. And sometimes we don't ask because we don't think that he even cares. And sometimes we ask with wrong motives. See, God says no, sometimes he says yes. And let me share this last answer. Sometimes God says, wait. For me, that's the worst. Sometimes I'd rather hear no and move on or rather hear yes and rejoice. But wait is really, really hard. The wait, I, I hate waiting. I, I hate, um, you know, when you pray for patience, what does God do? He doesn't miraculously zap you with patience. He makes you wait. He gives you trials. He lets you endure through certain things. And as you're praying for patience, like, God, I said, give me patience. And he says, okay, hold on. God, please give me patience. Okay, I will, I will. And then we get frustrated and, and he's answering that prayer by giving us patience. 
in, in Isaiah 40, 28 through 31, it says, have you not known? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How does God renew that, that strength? By waiting upon him. And by waiting upon him, it's not a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. It's an active seeking. It's an active knocking. It's a continual drawing near to the Lord. And by the way, again, when we wait on the Lord, it means we spend what with him? Time with him. Sometimes I like being with my kids just because they like to be with me, not because they're asking me for anything. In fact, if you're a parent, that is one of the greatest joys in all, all the world. This morning, uh, my daughter, uh, Alicia, she's homesick. She, she has a fever, and um, so Deanna's home with her. Abigail woke up really early. Um, like at 6.30 in the morning, she comes in, and um, she walks up to me, and I, I looked at her, and I said, are you okay? She goes, Yeah. And she comes, she said, I just wanted to hug you. I just hugged her. She didn't ask me for anything. She didn't ask me to get her breakfast or to go. Get, she just said, I just wanted to come and hug you. And you know what? That is just this incredible joy. You think that God is blessed when we want to spend time with him? See, God is not a force like on Star Wars. God is a real being. And, and as a real being, it says in scripture that he he um, exemplifies emotion. We could grieve the Holy Spirit. God is grieved at times. God takes joy in certain things. And one of the things that he takes joy in is when we love to worship him, when we want to draw near to him. So I want to close with some hindrances to prayer and then some practical ways that we could pray. Hindrances to prayer, I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I have this blatant sin in my life that I am ignoring, and when I talk to God, I act like it's, it's like the elephant in the room that you don't talk about, and I just ignore it. What makes me think that he would answer my other prayers? For you husbands, it says that uh, we should dwell with our wives and with understanding that our prayers wouldn't be hindered. Um, when it comes to unforgiveness, uh, Jesus said that when we don't forgive others, why would your heavenly father forgive you? See, there are things that can hinder our prayers and sometimes it's unconfessed, unrepentant sin. Another thing, as we said, is doubt. In the book of James, it says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like the wave of a sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Doubt not only hinders our prayers, but it causes us not to pray. And I wanna say this, that this last week of prayer, I've realized that one of the reasons that people don't pray more often, one of the reasons that I could not pray more often is that sometimes if there's doubt, then why would I pray? If prayer is the means by which God chooses to work, then, then by all means, even though he's sovereign, let's pray. Let, let's, let's pray. Also, hindrances to prayer is we don't ask. In James 4, 2, it says, you have not because you what? You ask not, you don't ask. You don't have it because you, you didn't ask. How many things do we miss out on that we don't ask? And then another hindrance to prayer is selfish motives. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. God, would you please save my boss because he's making it hard for me and, and I, I hate my job when I'm there. So please save him, not for him, not, not because you love him, but save him because it would be easier for me. I mean, we could easily pray prayers like that that are selfish um, in, in motive. And then let me read this to you. Hindrances to prayer, our lack of priority, our busyness and our distraction. Um, Satan called a worldwide convention. In his opening address to his evil angels, he said, we can't keep Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from forming an abiding relationship with Christ. If they, 
um, if they gain that connection with Christ, our power over them is broken. So let them go to their churches, let them have conservative lifestyles, but steal their time so that they can't gain that relationship with Jesus. This is what I want you to do, angels. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining a vital connection throughout their day. How shall we do this, shouted his angels? Keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds, he answered. Tempt them to spend, 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 borrow, 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 Persuade them to go to work for long hours, six to seven days each week, 10 to 12 hours a day so they can afford their empty lifestyle. Keep them from spending time with their children. As their family fragments, soon their home will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear the still small voice. Entice them to play the radio whenever they drive, to keep the TV, social media, CDs, smartphones constantly going in their home and see to it that every store and restaurant in the world plays non-biblical music constantly. It'll jam their minds and break that union with Christ. It goes on many other ways. Let their recreation be excessive. Have them return from recreation exhausted, disquieted, and unprepared for the coming week. I mean, the question is, how successful has the devil been with this scheme in my life? I think that that's one of the ways that he has been successful in my life. It's just being frazzled at times instead of withdrawing and spending that time with the Lord and waiting upon him. So let me close with our exhortation to pray. James 5, 13 through 20 says, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another and listen to this and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. God tells us to pray. And my heart, my prayer for us is that we would pray more. It's that vital connection with God that sets us apart. Um, I could know a lot about God. I could go to Cambridge or Oxford and study the Bible and know the Bible better than most Christians would ever know the Bible. But if I don't pray and open up my heart to God, it's just head knowledge. I could understand the truths of who Jesus is. And if my heart isn't engaged in trusting him, then that prayer is the means by which faith is exercised. Barnabas and Paul, Moses, Gideon, Simeon, they all prayed and God answered prayer. And let me tell you this, Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz is a result of prayer. It was a result of prayer of a group of people that said, Lord, would you start a church? It was a, a result of prayer by saying, God, would you, would you reach people? It was a result of prayers of people in this room that were there at the beginning that prayed that God would do this thing and God did this thing. And let me tell you, it is still a result of prayer. And if we are ever going to do anything in our own lives and as a church and as a ministry that is going to have an impact in this world, it will only be by prayer. It will not be by experience or ingenuity or power or strength or smarts or any of those things. God is the only one that wants the glory. So he will call us to do things that are above and beyond what we can do so that we know that it's him. Are we attempting those things for God? Are we drawing near to God? Are we enjoying his presence? I want to pray, and as, as I pray, I'm going to um, begin this prayer, and then just silently, if you would just open up your own heart to the Lord. Uh, this morning, we read from Psalm 139 that said, search me, O God. Search my heart, search me, O God, and see if there be any anxious way, if there's any evil thoughts, if there's anything, anything that you want to show me and lead me in, in your way. And as I open up in prayer, the worship team is going to come up and lead us into that time of worship. And again, it's not just closing our eyes. It's not just waiting until the service is over. It's engaging actively. It's saying, God, I, I choose to put you as priority. And by faith, I'm calling upon you. And know this, if you are not a Christian, if you are not a follower of Christ, 
And maybe you're close and you're not exactly sure. Don't you want to be sure? This morning, you can be sure by just praying this prayer. I'm going to lead you in it to say, Jesus, please forgive me for my sin and come into my life and fill me with your spirit. And if you want to pray that prayer, just right where you are, just as we pray, open up your heart to the Lord. It's not a magic formula because you know what? Sometimes a person can be saved without words. I've seen salvation prayers with just tears. I've seen salvation prayers with, with not the exact words, but it, God knows your heart. So let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you. Lord, I just thank you so much that there is someone on the other end of this prayer. That Lord, when we pray to you, it is more than wishful thinking. Lord, our prayers are not hope so. Our prayers are based in the hope of Christ. And right now, first of all, Lord, I would like to pray for anyone that has never received you as their Lord and their Savior. And if that is you, would you just pray this prayer with me? Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for going my own way, for calling my own shots. And God, I just confess that I need you. And I pray that you would come into my life, that you would fill me with your spirit. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you have come that I might have life. Thank you for showing that you really are who you said you are by rising from the dead. And I pray that you would help me to follow you all the days of my life. God, fill me with your spirit. Help me to get to know you better. In Jesus' name. And Lord, for those of us that have already prayed that prayer, we're asking this morning that you would search our hearts. We're praying right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do the miraculous in us. That God, would you please break, break up the fallow ground, break up the hardness of our heart, penetrate the indifference, penetrate, Lord, the boredness, the, the self-centeredness. God, we don't wanna just be passionate about the things that are fun in this world. Lord, we wanna be passionate about the things of God. We, we want to be more passionate about the things that move your heart. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that just has been dry. So the prayers are more like routine. God, would you just fill our hearts again this morning? Would you just draw near to us? And as we sing this song to you, Lord, search our hearts. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm us at times with your love and your presence, God. Lord, I pray that we would spend time alone with you. Lord, not only together, but in our prayer closet, God, our, our private space, whether that would be our car or on a hike or, Lord, uh, in the early mornings or in the late nights. God, that we would spend that time with you and that you would overwhelm us with your presence. We pray, Father, that as we, we do, that you would show us that you are a God that is real. We pray that you would show us that you are a God that cares, that you're a God that loves us, and you deserve our fullest attention. God, may you draw those prayers out of us. I pray that, Father, for every young person. I I pray, God, that there would be a zeal for you at a young age. Lord, for the high schoolers, college-age students, God, for young adults, that, that, Lord, I look back at revivals and how revivals have always included young people that have called upon your name and don't care what other people think a boldness, God, to call upon you and a care for others that causes them to get outside of themselves to look at the needs of the people around them. Lord, may you do that with our youth. Father, we pray for us as adults, Lord, those that are our parents, those that are, Lord, have years of experience. God, we pray that zeal would not fade with years, but we pray, God, that you would draw us to yourself in a new way, Lord, as we wait upon you, that we would renew our strength, that, God, you would speak to us once again, and we would say, God, where do you want to send us? What do you want to do through us and in us? 
Father, as a church, use this church for your glory. God, may we not trust in buildings or programs or talent or experience. May we trust in you. Father, for those that are elderly, may they look back on their lives. God, as you have always been there, you've never forsaken them. May that strength and vibrance be an encouragement not only to them, but to others around them. And may the rest of the believers take faith, take courage, God, in seeing what you've done in their lives. Lord, for those that are struggling with health issues, God, we pray for healing. We pray, God, that you would touch bodies. We pray, God, that you would uh, work, whether it would be through the doctors or through supernatural means in other ways. Father, we pray for healed relationships. And God, we pray for our schools and our workplaces and our neighborhoods. We pray for those that don't know you. And God, by name, we picture them. By face, we see them. And God, we're asking that you would save them and that you would use us. And God, should you send some into the mission field from this place, do that. God, should you open up the hearts of others to adopt, do that. Should you be calling people into full-time ministry, do that. Should you be calling us right back into the same difficult environment that we have been in with a different heart and attitude, then do that, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for meeting with us. And Lord, as we do pray, we ask that you would help us not to doubt. God, you have been faithful to provide for the ministry here. You've been faithful to provide for each of us individually. We pray that you would continue to do so. And Lord, as we give to you out of worship, Lord, would you take this offering and use it for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.